How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. Welcome back to How People Work. This is a co-host of yours, Jordan Peace. I'm sitting here with Jason Murray. Everyone. I only hesitate to say this is your host because I used to be the only I mean, host. You can be the host. I'm not sure what to say anymore. Welcome to episode 15. Um, today, shocker, we're going to be talking a little bit more about well-being. I think we've explored what well-being isn't and maybe hopefully broken down Um some myths and some barriers around what that word means and how it's applied in the workplace in particular. And then we studied a few, we studied a few studies, if you will, and what others are saying, Deloitte in particular, which was, I think, really well done. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think today, you know, we kind of want to, we'll see where it goes, but we kind of wanted to get into our own personal thoughts about what well-being is, how it ought to be defined, what it should look like, maybe some examples from our leadership with Fringe, Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I think build on some of the ideas that we've talked about in previous episodes around, you know, just this kind of work-life balance and sort of deconstructing that myth. And so when I was thinking about this episode in particular, I felt like we sort of spent a bunch of time deconstructing wellness Mm. and well-being Mm -hmm. and, you know, what it isn't or maybe conventional thinking about it. But I thought, well, it probably be helpful to maybe start constructing back something positive. And I think we've done that in some ways, yeah. but you know, it, it feels like it's a pretty multifaceted um, topic, yeah. you know, well-being. And so there's probably not just a single definition, but you know, we could probably start triangulating onto something that's, you know, a helpful, maybe working concept for people as they're thinking about applying it within their organizations. Yeah. I think one of the things that stuck out to me in that Deloitte study that I think was really useful that I never could never had put into words very well was the idea that creating well-being is a coordinated effort between employer and employee right that it's it's neither's full responsibility at least at work right at least in the work context um and being that work is such a huge part of people's lives and those two things are integrated there is a responsibility on the employer to create an environment where people can thrive and experience well-being. Yep. Now, we as employers, of course, can't impact every single area of someone's life. We don't always know everything that's going on at home, for example, and so forth. But you can create a space in which it's safe for people to bring the hardships that they're experiencing into the workplace in certain contexts, right? Mm-hmm ask intentional questions and help just create that environment. But I think what, you know, I think I made this point last time, but what gets lost is, okay, my employer is going to like take care of well-being for me. Like they're going to check that box and I'm going to go feel well, you know, every single day because like this parental figure almost in my life is going to cover that for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a mistake, you know, so there's two mistakes that can be made. The employer can make the mistake of going, 
not my responsibility, just do your job, right? right? And the employee can make the mistake of thinking, this is something that is being provided for me. Similar to, I think, a discussion you and I had uh, recently, which was behind closed doors, which is now not behind closed doors because I'm saying it on a podcast. (laughs) Um, But the way we felt about when we put our fringe values out there in the world Mm -hmm. and what they were intended to be was a set of norms and expectations that, hey, we're all going to adopt and abide by these values. Mm -hmm. And I think for some, they turned into promises that leadership is going to treat me with these values. That's how, that's what I'm going to be given. Right. Right. Um, And I think that was, you know, that's a, that's a lesson learned for me as a leader. Right. You know, and I think for the whole executive team that we need to communicate values in such a way that's, no, this is, this is normative. This is all of us. These are expectations we're going to put on each and every one of us. Right. This isn't like an advertisement of what it's going to be like to work here. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, so there's that, again, it's that mutual responsibility of employer and employee to generate the environment that we're looking to generate. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just think, saw some overlap there. Yeah. I think it's great overlap. It makes me think about, um, families and I know we, mm. we shy away generally from, you know, analogizing work to family because. Well, we try to shy away from it, but I think we often get back to it because right. we're sitting here with like eight kids under 12 between the two of us. Yeah. But, well, yeah. and then I think it's it's safe to say work is not a family. Right. You know, the the conditions of the relationships are very different, but yes. there's things that I think we can infer from... Kids don't get fired as much as we might exactly. want to occasionally. But well, where I was going with that, because something you said just a minute ago made me think of this, was uh, we also are very annoyed by kids who are freeloading mm. and not carrying any weight. Mm. And so you know, when you were talking about values, you know, kind of being something that are done for somebody versus yeah. this kind of collective participation yeah. in a set of values that we all hold. Right. That's kind of the expectation within a family mm. is, you know, we teach our kids like, hey, there's jobs that you're going to start doing around the house as you're old enough and able to yeah. contribute to what we're trying to build here, because that is a value right. that we have, right. you know, as a family. Yeah. And so if you don't, then it's actually you know, frustrating. And there's even like discipline yes. that comes into play in those right. scenarios where it's like, Hey, there's, you know, certain things that you need to have true about how you go about your business yeah. and life in order to be, you know, a productive human being and right. contribute, um, maybe fairly or equitably <laughs> to, you know, the communities that you're a part of, which in this case would be your family. Yeah. Well, I think it's coming from a loving place as well with children. And then if you apply it to the workplace, it's the same idea. Like Mm -hmm. kids are not going to and employees are not going to feel a sense of well-being if they don't have two things. They don't have boundaries and they don't have responsibility. Right. Right. Like I just well, forget employees for a second. Just thinking about children. Like if children have no boundaries, they live in a sense of chaos. Right. Right. They don't know who the authority is. They don't know what the rules are. They don't know what's okay. And yeah. so they're just, they actually live in fear. They right. live in There's a state a lot of anxiety. Right. Of constant anxiety because yeah. they don't, they don't know what's expected of them and what to do. And right. so any action might be met by any reaction from their parents because right. they don't understand cause and effect. Right. Because right? there's not enough discipline there. And then without responsibility, they never really mature into a place where they see their own kind of contribution in the world and start to form a sense of purpose and here's my role and here's what I'm good at and here's what I can contribute. And mm-hmm. that's how they start to feel grown up. That's mm-hmm. how they start to feel like real people, you know, right. and not just kind of 
freeloading toddlers, which is fine. Toddlers can freeload. Yeah. It's, it's, it's acceptable. Yeah, they're two. <laughs> they're two. It's fine. When they're four, yeah. I mean, it's a totally different story. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a gray area. You tie your own shoes. How this, how this grows over the course of time. And different parents approach it at different paces, I think. Right. But setting aside kids and thinking about employees, it's kind of the same thing. When you think about well-being, people are not going to experience well-being with those same without the same two attributes. Yeah. If they don't know the rules of the game, then they live in a constant state of anxiety. Am I doing a good job? Because yeah. I'm not sure what my job description is. I'm not sure what's expected of me. You know, and then without a sense of like, hey, you need to take ownership over your own life mm -hmm. and your own choices and be responsible. They, if if you do too much of that for employees and sort of coddle, which mm -hmm. I think that I'm guilty of, I'm a coddler when it comes to uh -huh. you know the employer employee relationship. Then you rob people of the opportunity to for some growth yeah, and to kind of find within themselves their best contribution and kind of what they can be in the workplace. So yeah. I don't know where this is going to go, but we'll I'm, I'm interested because this topic has me thinking that our experiences that we have, you know, maybe in relation to our families or our parents seemingly have an impact on how we approach, you know, responsibility relationships at work. And so I'm curious totally. for impact you. on like, everything in your life. Yeah. yeah I mean, do, right. what, what do you feel like are maybe expectations or experiences that you kind of carry from how you grew up Ooh. that apply to, you know, okay. the way that you thought about responsibility at work or how you interact uh, in that setting? This, is this the Jordan cries episode? <laughs> uh, you want me to get, be. I'm going to go all the way there. Um, Gosh, well, I don't. I don't mind sharing um, so, some personal things here. So, uh, you know this, but for the sake of the audience, I, I grew up in a household, uh, really loving, wonderful household. Me and I had an br older brother, still do. Um, and um, I think when I was, gosh, I've lost the plot now, 10 years old, maybe 10 years old. I think it was my mom got diagnosed with cancer for, for, for the first time. She experienced several different cancers. But the, the point of the story is that was a central kind of theme in our family was like, mm -hmm. we're going to battle together, mm -hmm. right? This disease. And we had successes and we had some losses and we had more successes. And it was actually a really back and forth thing for an entire decade. Um, and one of the things I learned, like a learned behavior that I had was, hey, I'm a kid. I'm not a doctor. There's not a whole lot I can do medically. There's not a whole lot I can facilitate in terms of like getting a lot of tasks done because I'm just not that capable. But what I can do is I can make people laugh. Mm -hmm. I can like raise spirit, raise the spirits of the room. I can like be a little lighthearted in heavy moments and so forth. And like, mm -hmm. you know, just get people a little bit out of the fear or the grief or the anxiousness or whatever the case may be. And so I, you know, I'm still that person. I mean, like in the midst of, I'm like, I could be sitting in a funeral and I'm like, whisper a joke to somebody, you know, cause I like, I have this learned behavior of like, yeah. I, I need to lighten the mood and people need that from me and, you know, to kind of entertain and so forth. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's what you go through in your childhood, I mean, just yeah. impacts like your entire personality, your entire thoughts about your mission of life and, and what you're all about and so forth. And I also, you know, you and I, and, and, and a lot of folks listening probably won't be familiar, but there's a personality assessment called the Enneagram. Right. 
and the personality type of that Enneagram test uh, that's a numerical one through nine, and I fall in this number eight category. And the number eight, their kind of key desire in life is the, is the need to be against. Mm-hmm. They need an enemy. <laughs> in other words, they mm-hmm. need something to fight, right? And it's no surprise, 10 years old, cancer comes into our family, we get into a fight with it mm-hmm. jointly, right? And my whole life, I'm 37 years old, I'm just looking, I'm looking for fights. Yeah. And, but I'm looking for fights that I can fight alongside others. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big recruiter. Mm-hmm. You know, as evidenced by the fact that we have five founders <laughs> of our right. startup, right? I'm a big recruiter. Yeah. Like, I, w- I don't want to just fight. I want to get my group together and let's go battle it out. And let's do something that seems impossible. Like, let's let's have a big, scary fight. Yeah. Because I don't really feel like lesser fights are worth fighting. Yeah. It needs to be incredibly hard yeah. for it to feel worthwhile. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's yeah. I don't know if I'm getting at your question, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. It colored my entire life. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I um. So growing up a military kid, you know, it's a very different experience. So I mean, it's interesting hearing you kind of talk about it in relationship to, you know, work and what that's meant. And, I mean, yeah. I've known you long enough that you know, sort of the story of like how you gather people together mm-hmm. and sort of that sense of, you know, we're going to go fight and kind of be against something and, you know, accomplish something big is great. And I think that's part of what's made, you know, our partnership, you know, as friends and in business, right. you know, so good. Um, and, you know, it's funny for me because I feel like my dad, having been uh, a drill sergeant uh, in the Marine Corps when I was growing up for a couple of years alongside of a long career in the military, right you know, I just had this sense of like, do the right thing, responsibility, Mm. like take care of your business. Mm. Like, you know, the buck stops with you, like kind of all of this throughout. High accountability. High, like super high accountability. And I'd say that that's probably not actually extremely natural Mm. for my personality in some ways. I mean, maybe in some areas, but I'm not naturally... I think a a highly disciplined person Mm. um, as, you know, some people might be that you'd go and look at. And so, but I do think that there's this sense for me, you know, as I approach my work, even of like, it requires responsibility Mm. and like, you do need to own it. And Mm. there's kind of a drive that like comes out of that, you know, that, I mean, as I've unpacked with my counselor and stuff like that, there's very, there's negative sides to that. Yeah as well, but I mean, I think that's some of probably what we've gotten to a little bit and that, you know, individuals have some responsibility themselves, even for understanding like, hey, what's, what are you bringing to the table Mm. that's impacting why work may feel a certain way, right? It's not like work or your experience of work is just objectively good or bad, Right. right? Like we're bringing stuff to the table when we go to a work setting or take on a role that, you know, is like all these years of like, you know, what we think work should be and healthy mindsets and unhealthy mindsets and strengths and weaknesses and so on. I think, I think what I was thinking while you were talking, I was trying, I was listening, I promise. But I was also thinking like everybody listening brings some story maybe similar, maybe far different, Mm -hmm. but they bring that into work every day. And I think part of what creating an environment where people can thrive 
where there's human flourishing, to use your term, where well-being can can be a big part of the culture, is having a place where you can bring your story in. Yeah. You know, like where you're you're allowed to have a past. <laughs> you're allowed to have a childhood. You're allowed to have wounds right. and pains and preferences and whatever, beliefs, right? Um, and it's, it's part of, you know, I, it's obvious you could use the word diversity to apply to that. But, mm-hmm. but I think diversity is almost a little bit too much of a buzzword to really cover it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, think it's, I think it's an acceptance of flawed people with painful pasts, right? Yeah. That's more of the expression I would use to describe, you know, what this welcoming environment ought to look yeah. like. And it's a tough thing to scale. Like intimacy is a tough thing to scale. Right. Right. Because when you have 10 people in your organization, you can ask intentional questions. You can get to know them. Trust builds. Eventually you begin to hear their story. Right. And th- of course there's going to be a situation where people feel a sense of wellness. Yeah. Right. Oh, I brought my whole self. That whole self was accepted. That whole self was, dare I say, loved. Right. And like, there's a coordinated effort to take that whole self and to figure out like the best contribution and the best work mm. and the best style of work and the best hours of work and whatever. Like you can custom, you can bespoke that, you know, yeah. if you will, to use that as a verb, which is not. But, um, but then at scale, like how do you do it? How yeah. do you create that deeper sense of well-being? I think the only way is to is to replicate that through a managerial process or a leadership process where people are trained to not just tell people what to do and yeah. why we're doing it, which is two very important things, yeah. but to also connect on that deeper level and to understand who it is that's working for them and what their story is. you know. And I think it might be achievable so long as you don't have one person leading 20 people. Right. You know, if you keep that kind of span of quote unquote control, I think right. we ought to rebrand that of like span right. of care, maybe might be I a, will control you. Right. A span of care might be a better term. Right. You know, um that it, it might be achievable. Yeah. Yeah, you said you said something that um kind of stuck with me and I want to kind of talk about it a little bit more because uh, you mentioned acceptance is part of this kind of concept of intimacy. Yeah. You know, maybe it's because I'm an introvert and I have only so much capacity for intimacy in my (laughs) life. Um, But I I was also thinking about this concept of psychological safety, and I'm not Mm. sure I always understand what people mean when Mm. they say it. I'm not sure they do either. Mm, But I, I wonder if sometimes, and this is related to our discussion on like, what do we bring to the table from our childhood and whatnot? if we put acceptance at the pinnacle mm-hmm. of sort of what it means to feel like I belong somewhere. Yeah. And if that's right. So if we kind of mm. go back to the analogy of a family, well, what's, what is one thing that's true of a family? You're part of the family. Yeah. Right. right. You're accepted. Permanently. You're right. You, yeah. or you should be, I mean, yeah, in a, in right. a, in a properly functioning yeah. family, acceptance should be sort of like, the operating truth across the yeah. board. But then what happens in yeah. a healthy family to develop individuals and, and maybe come back to kids is a useful way to do this is we challenge them, right? Yeah. So it's not just like, hey, I love you and you're accepted. Right. It's, I love you, you're accepted. And 
there's responsibility you're going to need to take on. Yeah. There's ways that you're going to need to grow. There's right. going to be challenge right. that you right. have to take on for things that are hard even. And right. so I think the question is, are the hard things actually bad? Because the sense I get hmm. from interacting with people is sometimes like, I just want to be accepted. Don't make me do anything hard. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, right. Well, I think that's a child's perspective, right? right. To just go, well, I just, I just am. Just accept whatever I am, and uh-huh. just. And, but I think there's a dip, a difference between acceptance and approval, or acceptance and like. Mm-hmm. No one's ever done. No one's finished growing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, no one's arrived mm-hmm. ever. So I think the acceptance is, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you into this team. And I'm going to take your past and I'm going to take those wounds Mm -hmm. and all that pain and all that stuff. But there's still an expectation that these values and these norms that we put out there as something that you agreed to when you took the job, Mm -hmm. you're expected to to live that out here. Right. Right. So there isn't just like, well, whatever you are relationally, like whatever you are socially, whatever, however you act is okay. That's not true, Mm -hmm. right? There's, there has to be a standard. Mm -hmm. There has to be a, an idea of what the ideal is and the ideal should be set forth by a company's values. Yeah. So that's a really interesting idea because whenever you put forth an ideal, it means that we're not going to meet it. Oh yeah. Because an ideal by definition is something that is right Mm -hmm. uh, to some degree unattainable. Mm -hmm. And so therefore I'm measuring myself against an ideal, which means I am always falling short of that, that ideal. So it's this like funny tension that we Mm -hmm. have, right. Of like our need for acceptance, you know, as human beings, like we're not perfect. We've got our baggage and our stories and so forth. But yet if we don't have an ideal to strive for, like, what are we, what are we aiming for? I mean, we we've talked about what that. What are we doing? Yeah, we've talked about that yeah. actually in previous episodes. It's like, yeah. what are we aiming for? Like, yeah. has a lot to do with how we go about kind of operating in the world. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm okay, you're okay is love. I don't think that's a loving mm-hmm. way to treat people in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think you should understand what they want and you should understand what their goals are, what matters to them, and what they're aiming towards. Mm-hmm. And if they're not aiming towards anything, maybe a little coaching would help, <laughs> you know, to kind of, hey, yeah. you should maybe set your sights on something, right? We talked right. about purpose in past episodes. But then once you kind of understand the purpose and the purpose they signed up for yeah. by taking the job and taking on the values as ascribed, right? Like, you need to coach them towards that with the knowledge that they will fail, Right, but I mean, they will necessarily fail, and as as will the leader, as will everybody in the organization. Which you know, I, I think I'm just thinking through our own like values document. Mm-hmm. You know, there's phrases in there like "fail boldly," mm-hmm. "be flawed," mm-hmm. right? But be flawed and don't front, right? That's the key. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between humility and arrogance. Both a humble person and an arrogant person are flawed, right? But the arrogant person pretends not to be, yeah. and the humble person accepts that they are, yeah. Right. And, and will tell you that they are flawed. Yeah. Um, and you cannot coach someone who won't. Right. You can't. Well, because they're not participating in their own well being. Yeah. Humility at its core is an acknowledgement that you don't know everything. Yes. And so if you and don't, you're not perfect. Right. And so, yeah, they're kind of one and the same. Right. And so, you know, humility requires that you're acknowledging, I guess, a deficit 
you might call it, that's, yeah. you know, a deficit that's universally true yeah. about humans. But I mean, coming back to this idea, even of the ideal, because I think that, that, that to me, there's something more profound that maybe gets at our discomfort because mm. an ideal, an ideal judges you. Mm. Hmm. And we're very uncomfortable mm. with judgment. Like, yeah. who are you to judge me? <laughs> right. Yes. Like I'm yeah. a, I'm a person. Yep. I'm a, beautiful butterfly, right? Like yeah. who are you to judge me by some standard? But right. what we're getting to is without a standard, we have no aim. And mm-hmm. so we have to have some kind of standard or ideal because otherwise we have nothing to aim for. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we have that ideal, it judges us. Yeah. And that judgment is uncomfortable yeah. unless we can maybe be more comfortable with humility. Well, I think, I, I think that's, I've, to reiterate, I think that's the mistake that I made with Fringe, mm-hmm. one of many mistakes I've made with this company that we run, you know, but one of the mistakes I've made, again, is is not laying those values out as an ideal, mm-hmm. as an expectation. It was more, I think it came, and I didn't mean it this way initially when I wrote it, but it came across more as a recruiting pitch. Like, come here, uh-huh. and like, here you're allowed to be flawed, and here you're allowed right. to be, right, as opposed to, this is what the ideal is here. Right. Be humble. Be courageous. Like be, be, be these yeah. things. Right. And I think had I done that, we probably would have saved ourselves a certain amount of pain mm-hmm. with folks that came in and thought that they were going to be handed, like handed wellness, handed acceptance, mm-hmm. handed whatever, a vision for their life, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. and didn't really participate in that themselves from the jump yeah. because they never accepted an ideal that was laid out before them. And I said this before, you should not choose a company to work for based on the salary or the benefits. Mm-hmm. You should choose based on the values. Right. And and your perception as to whether or not the executive team actually believes the values that they put out there right. or it's just a bunch of virtue signaling crap. Yeah. Right? Does it is it really reflect what they believe in their hearts of in their heart of hearts? And are you on board? Yeah. And if you're on board, you're gonna have a you're gonna have a wonderful experience with that company. Right. You know? But if you're not aligned from a value standpoint, I mean, I don't care how much a company pays right. you. It's gonna be a miserable experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think to me this is why I recoil so much at the idea of work being just a transaction between employer and employee, right? Yeah. Transaction yeah. of like time for wages, right? I give you time, you give me money, end of story, yeah. that's it. Yeah. And I hear a lot of people talk about it in that way. And it just feels so, it feels shallow, I mm-hmm. guess, because it, it I, I don't know, you don't have to like go far below the surface to realize like, it's just not even true. Like we might try and put that framework on top of this concept of work, mm. but I mean, we talked about, I think in one of the previous episodes, the World Health Organization calls employment one of our social determinants of health. Right. And so, yeah. I mean, even in that setting, they're acknowledging that work it's has- It's not just a paycheck. Right, That's there's something true. deeper right. to work yeah. mm-hmm. than just a transaction yeah. between an employer of, of time for money. Yeah, but you know, we're, we're, we're cynical people that are afraid of intimacy. And so what do you do? You fall to the lowest common denominator, mm. right? Which is which is this 
quote, live in the dream attitude, like I like to call it, right? Nobody means it. The, the people that you, <laughs> yeah, just to clarify, the people that you ask, hey, how's your day going? How you doing? And live they go, the live dream. in the dream, right? With all this, this dripping with yeah. cynicism, <laughs> you know? That is, that is the easiest thing. That's the easiest way to communicate. The easiest way to interact with people is just with this cynical, jaded, mm. empty reaction to that question or to any question. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's... That is the poison in the water mm-hmm. when it comes to this whole concept of work that has led people to, even in 2023, even though I think they know deep down it's not true, to say, yeah. it's just a paycheck. Well, because it reduces, it literally reduces you to a resource. Yeah. You are only time. Is that what you want? That's what you are. Right. Do you, you want to be a cog in a wheel? Right. You know, like it, it's, I wonder if that's a... If that's a way of just shirking the responsibility of being more, mm. you know, I think that maybe that's coming from a place of fear, it's like self-protection that, okay, well, if I get into this role and I'm not promoted and I'm not praised mm-hmm. and I'm not the star of the show, well, then it's because I, you know, I'm just a cog in the wheel anyway. Nobody really cares about me. Maybe yeah. it's just this kind of self-protective disclaimer that's put up front um, to to shy away from the intimacy of actually having to like try. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. The risk of effort. Yeah. And, uh, which could be met with failure. Yeah. yeah. Right. Should be scary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we're all afraid of. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all afraid to actually try and then fail. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if we fail and we're like, well, I just sort of, you know, I just sort of phoned it in anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, it's not so upsetting. Right. right. When we pour ourselves into something, we expect to win. Yeah. You know, so. Anyway, we've probably gone well over our a lot of time for an episode <laughs> today. Uh, good topic. Um, thank you all uh, for listening to episode 15 today. Jason and I are going to um, continue to um, hit our tequila glasses hard and yes. corrals with one another throughout this afternoon. Ah, you worked it right in. at the end. I got to give you your new word, too. Got it. Uh, Yeah, Jason, hit us with the word of the day for the next episode. All right, next episode, word of the day is going to be rarefied. Okay, that's that's easier than corrals. I was like, well, how do we? It's it's like this drinking and partying and like, where? How does this relate? What we do on the podcast? I mean, I guess it is, you know, some part of wellness. (laughs) (laughs) But all right, thanks for listening to how people work. We'll catch you next time. Bye bye.